Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the show. And today we've got a great guest. We've got Jason Living from Argyle Square Properties. And Jason has got quite a big public profile on Facebook. You may have seen him. He's got a very big serviced accommodation group. And Jason's been um, in the property industry for probably around about 30 years, is a chartered surveyor by trade. And within the last sort of three or four years, Jason has got into the serviced accommodation industry. And as I said, you may have seen him on Facebook. So Jason, good morning. Oh, good morning, Rick. And Jason, thanks for you know spending the morning with us today. It's great to have you on the show. And what we like to do for the listeners is really just give them a little bit of history about yourself, what you do, and sort of how you've got to where you've got to at the moment. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, no, th- thanks for thanks for inviting me on. It's it's really great to be here. And uh, yeah, in terms of uh, where I started out. Um, you know, my background was property. I did a degree in what was called land management, which is effectively um, surveying. Finished that in, in 1989 and uh, trotted off to London to work for a, a fairly large firm of surveyors, um, dealing principally with uh, with planning and development consultancy. And I did, you know, so it was largely sort of commercial planning work, did a lot of work for out-of-town food retail, particularly Tesco and uh, and some of the other main players as well, uh, and did that for about 10 years through to uh, 2000. But going back to the beginning of that period, um, moved to London, bought a, a flat with a um, with a university friend of mine, and uh, and funnily enough, looking back from my point of view, it was a, a no money down deal. He had some deposit money. Uh, we got a, a joint mortgage, and basically, I I covered my fifty percent of the purchase price with uh, with with part of that mortgage with him putting the deposit in. And we lived in that property for a couple of years, and then uh, for various reasons, we ended up moving out of it. Um, but I, neither of us wanted to sell it, so we rented it out. So we sort of became um, accidental landlords. But I, I would say it was slightly sort of deliberate accidental in the sense that I'd always thought investing in property was uh, was a good idea and then I um, carried on living in London until I got married in 1996 and the firm I worked for have an office in Sunderland in the northeast and um, for various sort of family reasons I, I ended up moving to, to North Yorkshire and sort of transferred got a uh, managed to effectively create a job for myself in the in the in the Sunderland office, so uh, so trotted off up to Sunderland, still with the just the one property in London at that point. Yeah, and then uh, and then got up to Sunderland, and um, and one afternoon um, it would be a Friday afternoon because the the local paper that's that's the property day. And I think over my sandwich at lunch, I was just uh, flicking through the property pages and, and a property caught my eye because it had a reduced um, sort of flash across it. And it said uh, four flats um, yielding uh, £10,400. I can remember exactly the figures. And it was available for £44,000. Now, the ad next to it was for a, a single flat, probably less than 100 yards away for, I think, £40,000. So I assumed that they were selling these four flats off individually. So I phoned the agent and in my um, sort of London naivety, I said, I suppose, um, I said, uh, you know, looking at this property here, is that £44,000 for each of the flats? And they said, no, 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 that's that's for the block of floor. So it, four, so it was a, a converted house, converted to four flats, rented out £10,400. So I thought, hmm, that looks interesting, um, you know, with a, with a 25% yield. Um, so it was available for forty-four thousand pounds. So I phoned the agent, 
And in my sort of London naivety, I suppose, I, I asked them if that was £44,000 for each of the flats. And they said, no, no, that's for the whole block of, of four flats, uh, £44,000, single freehold, house converted to, to four flats, yielding £10,400. So um, a 25% yield, which obviously look, looks great and, and was good. Um, you have to bear in mind that the cost of borrowing at that time was probably 11 or 12%. So there is a relativity to it, but there was still definitely a, a margin to be to be made. So I um, went and had a look at the property, um, negotiated and agreed to buy that property for £42,000. Um, now for reasons which I, I can't quite remember, it did take quite a few months to go through. I think it was about nine months from from offer to completion, um, probably because I, you know, I perhaps didn't know what I know now and, and um, you know, the solicitor took his time and the other side no doubt took their time. But so we bought that property. Um, we got a mortgage from um, Nationwide Commercial at that time because because it was a single freehold with with uh, with four flats. Um, couldn't go down the sort of standard buy-to-let mortgage route. And indeed at that time, so we're talking by now 97, 98, you know, buy-to-let mortgages were very much in, in their infancy. But uh, we got a, a mortgage of I think 70% loan to value um i i borrowed the the balance um from a member of my family and uh, and off we went and then i bought another two or three similar properties using um nationwide um and that probably took two or three years and then we refinanced in about 2000 with um with bank of scotland and uh, and yet this time in the northeast prices had started to to move up quite quite strongly so as the prices increased we were able simply to to refinance and uh, and sort of you know create deposits out of the uh, out of the increase in equity in the in the properties we've we've got and uh, and we continued to buy those sort of properties through to about probably 2003 2004 and um got to a point where we have about 100, 110 flats in Sunderland of, of that type. Um, so uh, probably about 25, 30 individual properties in flats. Um, and at that point, um, I came across a company called a, a Quick Sale, who were essentially a, uh, a company marketing to people for, um, to find motivated sellers. So looking for, for below market value properties. And essentially the way that worked is that um, you would have an individual area which were based on yellow pages areas. So I had the, the Sunderland area and, uh, and each sort of individual would, would contribute to a central marketing pot which would then be used to, to market principally on the, on the web um, to get motivated sellers. And I saw this as an opportunity to start doing um, buy to sell to, to, to flips mm. because I felt I had a you know, substantial buy to let portfolio. And whilst there was a margin in that, you know, as we all know, um, you know, lots of single lets make a little bit of money each, but you know, they don't generate a huge cash flow. So I felt there was an opportunity here to start doing flips as partly as a cash flow and potentially to, to pay down debt. So, so started to, to, to do that and did uh, did reasonably well doing that but as as time went on and the availability of sort of buy to let finance improved and interest rates came down 
some of those properties we were looking at as buy to flips sort of stacked up from a buy to let point of view so we decided to 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 keep some of those as well so so again from that period probably 2003 4 through to about yeah, 2007 um, we we probably traded about 30 properties in that period and bought and held um, a, probably another 70 or 80 I should think mm. um, most of which we uh, we still have today so um, so that was really the the build-up of, of the portfolio and then obviously um, you know, 2007 eight came along and uh, and the whole landscape changed somewhat how did that affect you, Jason, during that period? Did it just stop you from doing, you know, from the purchasing or did you just ride through it? Um, it, it definitely stopped us purchasing because by that time we were principally using the likes of, of Mortgage Express mm. with whom you could do um, same-day refinance. So if you were buying below market value, effectively you could do sort of no money down deals or, or money out deals sort of all day long. And And when they... Um, sort of withdrew from the market and obviously Bradford and Bingley uh, their parent company ultimately went bust effectively um, that certainly stopped that side of things and indeed really you know we got the benefit of hindsight whilst I think I had a fair bit of property knowledge I, I didn't really have um, a lot of knowledge uh, about running a business and um, you know we we got carried away and were really um, riding on the on the increase in capital value as we went along in terms of both the ability to to keep refinancing and buying more but but you know fundamentally you know that was that was what was cash flowing the business really rather than rather than the underlying rental income i'd by that time got a team of about nine people we had two sort of full-time property buyers um, administration, property management. You know, we had, I think, our overheads at that time were probably twenty thousand pounds a month, and and it just wasn't sustainable. Um, so you know, we had to to downsize significantly in terms of of staff, and you know, got extremely close to to, to losing the whole lot and, and going bust. Because also looking back at that time, the Bank of England held interest rates. At, they peaked at 5.75%, I think, in 2007. And they actually held on for a significant period of time before we had this sort of rapid fall through to, I think it was March 2009, when it eventually came down to, uh, to half a percent. And so in that period, when it hit the peak of 5.75 until it started coming down, you know, we were, we were really hurting. I mean, we were... We were hemorrhaging money really well, i guess in jason as well because you predominantly were single lets you know you it's not like you know hmo is your, your cash flow is is relatively small in the single let versus a hmo isn't it yeah that's right that's right and and you know if i'm honest and, and look back the focus of becoming on had become um you know buying the next one and the next one particularly mm -hmm. with the mortgage express deals where you could maybe you know, pull five or ten thousand pounds out of a property day one. You know that seemed a far more attractive thing than than necessarily yeah. focusing on the 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 better and proper man management of what we, you know what we got. You already had. Um, I mean, you weren't on, on your own there. I mean, you know, going back to you know around about that period, it, it it's how most 
um, most landlords built their portfolios during that time. And I still, you know, I know a lot of people um, that have they've done the mortgage express thing. And, you know, some people, <laughs> because, because this single let sort of market isn't quite as lucrative as it is with HMOs. I do know that some people now are stuck in a rut because they can't really, because they've got such a good rate with the mortgages, you know, mortgage express with the buy to let mortgage. And they want to try now to repurpose the properties, turn them into HMOs, but they're stuck because, you know, the mortgage express will recall if they, um, you know, if they make any kind of um, uh, inquiry about changing the product. And uh, if they do flip it out with another mortgage provider, then they're going to probably Probably double or even triple their mortgage rate. Um, do you have any HMOs, Jason, in your portfolio? Yeah, we've got um, three. I mean, I suppose te- te- technically some of the houses we've got divided into self-contained flats, I think are some of them are, are, are sort of section 257 HMOs, but yeah. that's not the sort of HMOs you know, I know you're talking about. We've got, so we've got one property um, that is, that we, we have, uh, the name of our business, Argyle Square Properties, comes from a, a it's a street rather than a square, ironically, where I think there's 33 properties in all and we own 17 of them. Mm. Um, one of those which we, we bought along the way um, is uh, uh, an HMO. It's eight sort of bed sits. Um, some have got their own sort of kitchen areas. Uh, some, some are shared, but a, a mixture. So that's, that's eight bed sits. So right. that's a sort of true... Um, fully licensable HMO, and then we've got a, a couple more which we have picked up post crash. Actually, one is an exchange with delayed completion, um, which is a, a seven bed um, HMO. It was in the student market, being very badly managed, and um, and the landlord was only only became aware they hadn't got any tenants when he was expecting his rent at the beginning of October, yeah. um, and then the agent admitted they hadn't actually managed to let it. Right. Um, so we managed to step in and, and take that over on an exchange with delayed completion. We'll talk about a few strategies in a second, but just sure. kind of, just just recording back a little bit back to um, you know when when the market peaked and then it fell flat, um, and you say that you know you, you almost went bankrupt and what have you. How did you yeah. save everything? What I mean what what was that turning point for you, Jason? How did you bring it all back? I suppose we, in the in the sort of immediate short term, as as things were going wrong, we, um, uh, I mean, our main bank at that point still is was was RBS, and you know, I have to say, much as there's all the horror stories about RBS, they've they've been pretty good to us over the years, and they, luckily, we had still had some properties with them that had a bit of equity in, so they were able to to lend us a bit more money, really, just to. To, to handle cash flow, um, uh, you, know, some, you know, borrowed money sort of personally from from friends and contacts, and um, really just um, focused on the better management of the of the portfolio, and really, you know, really started to drill down and and um, and you know, get things working. Quite frankly, as, as they as they should have been. One Were you ever tempted, Jason, to, to sell? You know, did you ever say, you know what, let's just get, get out? I, I, I wasn't. And I, you know, part of that, I think, was because, you know, in the Northeast, some of the values went down 25 30%, which was you know, pretty much most of the equity, given that we'd refinanced as we went along. So, mm-hmm. there, you know, the opportunity to sell was, was sort of very limited, if, if not non-existent. And, and equally, you know, I always felt, you know, if we could in some way hang on to what we got, you know, it would come right in the end. And property, you know, a lot of people say, is a very forgiving thing in the sense that, you know, you, you can make some mistakes. 
And if you can hang on and hang on, you know, it will, it will come back. Um, so I've always been of, of, of that mind rather than, rather than, as you say, just, uh, you know, throwing the whole lot up in the air and, and, and walking away. You know, and it's, it's really interesting, and, and you'll see this a lot, um, when legislation changes and when new legislation comes in, etc. And we've seen, Jason, haven't we, over the last, mm. over the last, let's say, two, two and a half years, fundamentally, mainly specifically HMOs, but, um, you know, the legislation has changed so much in such a short period of time. And what I see is that when people see things like the abolishment of Section 21 or the Right to Rent Act that came in or the Deregulation Act, etc., it creates a stir. And then lots of people say, that's it. You know, the rental industry is on its back now. We're going to have to go and find something else to do, etc. But really, it's never been any different, has it? And I, I guess that, you know, when, when they took away the back-to-back refinancing with Mortgage Express, um, you were around then, you were investing then. Was that the came, Were people saying the same kind of thing then? Were they saying that's the end of investing the way we know it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if, you know, I mean, if I, if I, if I turn back even further than then, I remember being in London in sort of 1991, you know, when there's a, you know, prices have peaked in 89 and then, and then you know, relative terms crashed, you know, prices came off some 20, 25% in the early nineties. And I, I remember people at that stage saying, or we wonder if properties, you know, will ever again reach their 1989 peak. Mm. By about 1997, 98, you'd have struggled to find a property in London that wasn't double worth double its peak. Yeah, uh, you know, that was how quick the turnaround was. So, so as you say, pe- people are always quick to to say, you know, f- uh, this is a fundamental change. Um, you know, things will never be the same again. And okay, they never will be quite the same because the goalposts have shifted slightly. But there's still a, you know, to follow that analogy, there's still a game to be played. Um, you know, even when the, the goalposts have, have moved. And I, and I think it's about being, um, you know, being flexible and adaptable and not being absolutely stuck, um, you know, in one way of doing things. And whilst I'm, I'm a great advocate of, of focus, in terms of you know finding what it is that suits you and, and doing that, I think you've got to be careful not to continue to sort of blindly go down a, a course if if actually things have changed. Um, yeah. you, know, you do need that ability to uh, to, to pivot or, or adjust what you're doing. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely agree with that. And I think you do have to adapt to survive. That's business. And it's not just in the property business. It's in any industry. Um, I've been in the pub trade, you know, I had lots of pubs, I had a chain of pubs at one point with 85 staff. And you know, it's no different, you know, the smoking ban, for example, that came in and took probably 10 maybe 15,000 pound a week off my sales and and that was it we were like oh that's it the whole pub industry is on its back but then all the gastro pubs started to come in and then the people started to go out again and spend money so I mean it's not just in property and I, I think this week um, has been a really good example of this because we've now sort of seen the suggestion that the section 21 um, is going to be abolished and you know there's talk that it might even be expedited so it comes through this year I don't know mm-hmm. quite how they're going to do that yet what's your thoughts on that Jason it is quite topical at the moment it is and I think it's one of those things that when you see it you think oh that's terrible disaster how are we going to survive but then when I actually even pause for a second and think hang on a minute when was the last section 21 notice I served and quite frankly we hardly ever serve section 21 notices because 
Um, the only reason we would serve notice on a tenant is because they're in default of their tenancy, and 95% of the time that's rent arrears. And you know, and I, I, in my experience, I think that Section 8 notice on the correct grounds is is a far more effective means of of getting someone out than um, than Section 21 because um, you know Section 8 notice the the notice period between service of the notice and going to court is two weeks rather than two months with a section 21 notice and if you've got a tenant who's stopped paying their rent you know time is money mm. so the reality is you know from a from a long-term investment point of view that we very very rarely use section 21 notices the only times we have are where you've got um sort of tenancy issues that are if you like subjective and judgmental so for instance that um, uh, antisocial behavior you know where it's 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 very difficult to go along to court and prove definitively that someone is is in breach of their tenancy and you should get possession or smoking drugs and things like that yeah but the, but you know in my experience those things are are you know are f- far far less prevalent than rent arrears yeah. so so from my point of view i think the only point at which it would be a, a real issue is if you had a property that you wanted to sell and you felt that the vacant possession value was going to be greater, and therefore you, you know, you wanted the tenant out on a on a no fault basis. Um, but again, you know, that's not something that's that's been material to 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 us at all. Mm. And, and I guess in those circumstances, you know, if you're looking to sell, and the tenant effectively has got some sort of security of tenure then it's it's presumably a matter of having a discussion and a negotiation with them either yep. to politely encourage them to to move on or to or to make it worth their while absolutely you know, you've got a property you've had substantial growth over the years and it's yeah. a matter of saying to somebody look you know i'll fund your move and a bit of a deposit and it's going to cost you let's say 1500 2000 pounds okay it's money you'd rather not stick your hand in your pocket for but if you're selling because you've made a decent chunk of equity and you're looking to release that you know you build that and over a period of 10 years it's a couple of hundred pounds a year mm, yeah and i think a lot of people are panicking now because of the rent to rent strategy and the lease option strategy because fundamentally at the end of the agreement <clears throat> we manage out the tenants and give them notice so that the agreement comes to an end and the property is given back vacant possession and I think a lot of people now are panicking because of that. But, you know, there is talk that um, they're going to make some amendments to Section 8. Nobody knows really what that's going to look like yet. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, if we, there's a lot of things that we can consider with that. And with the rent-to-rent strategy, first of all, why do, why do the owners want it back? So they either want it back to sell. So that puts us in a really great position to buy and negotiate. They can sell it as an asset and as a cash flowing asset. If the tenants are in arrears, we can serve them Section 8 anyway. And if they want to redevelop the property and, um, and potentially move back in, we can serve them Section 8 there as well. So there are other ways around. And as you say, Jason, very much um, you can negotiate with the tenant and ask them maybe to surrender voluntary their tenancy if we help them along the way to find another property. So, you know, there are more, uh, more ways that we can, you know, move tenants out if we have to do that, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and they've, you know, often with these things, with, with, uh, with government announcements, they're, they're very short on the detail. Um, but but from from my reading of what the government have said is you know they have trailed the idea that um, you know section eight will be will be strengthened in, in certain ways you know and it may well be that 
you know, they introduce grounds so that if you are, you know, genuinely selling, that that may be a ground for mm. for gaining possession. Yeah. I think what they're what they're looking to to counter specifically is what they've called retaliatory evictions, mm-hmm. which is the suggestion that that where tenants are um, uh, sort of making complaints to their landlords, particularly about items of disrepair, that there's a suggestion that that some landlords have have had a sort of knee jerk reaction to that and just given a section twenty one notice. You know, I often feel most of this legislation is sledgehammer to crack a nut. Yeah. In the in in the sense that. You know, whilst I'm sure that happens, you know, the incidence of it actually happening is is probably pretty small, and the chances are that those tenants, you know, are probably not the best. Ten- you know, there's other reasons why someone's using Section 21. You know, it's not simply a retaliatory eviction. Yeah. And you know, and the bottom line is there are, um, you know, there is other legislation. And again, this is a massive frustration for me that they seem to bring in layer and layer upon legislation to do things, most of which there's some legislation already there in place to do it. So for instance, you know, disrepair, there is, you know, there is legislation around disrepair. And if the landlord doesn't repair a property, there are actions a tenant can take. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and as I say, then they'd seem to sort of come up with, with other legislation that's almost a different way of achieving the same thing. Yeah. And my view is why not focus on using the legislation you've got it no. just seems all the time, though, doesn't it, that there's a, there's an attack on private landlords all the time. We get seen as the you know the fat cats with our big cigars, etc. And the reality of of it, it just isn't like that. And you know, you're a very good case in point there. You talked about going through the you know the ups and the downs and nearly losing your business. It's not all about raking loads of money in. You know, and your expenses were twenty thousand pounds a month. I think ours are probably a little bit more than that. Um, you know, then people don't see that, do they? And the government don't see, or, you know, all. Mm-hmm of the good landlords it's just the bad people that seem to ruin it for everybody else jason let's move on to your um your newer strategy now so um you know you've gone through all you bought loads of flats you 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 became a big portfolio landlord with single lets you've come across a couple of hmos along the way Uh, you did your exchange with delayed completion and then service accommodation happened How, how did that come into the portfolio Sure. So I, I guess the origins of that are probably five or six years ago. Um, uh, you know, it was something that I was, uh, uh, if you like, aware of in, in a general sense. And we had an inquiry from uh, an Irish company. I think they were, they were doing wind turbines locally and they've got 12 people coming and they phoned us up and said, look, would you be able to accommodate 12 people for, for six weeks? And, uh, and I said, yeah, I think we could do that. We had yeah, with a portfolio of our size, we've got about 180 odd units now. Um, so at any one time, you know, you will always have some coming empty. Mm. Um, you know, so so you're always going to have a, a certain void rate. And I could see that that within stuff that we knew was coming empty or or was empty, um, that we could accommodate that. And clearly, there was a a larger rent to be charged than than if we just did them on single lets. And I thought this might be an opportunity. And something that that might be looking worth looking at that further on. Um, so we we did that. Um, it didn't perhaps work as as well as we'd hoped. I think I think largely because of of internal issues within the uh, within the the company. Um, but but I think we did we did do short lets for for sort of half that period and got a decent chunk of money out of it. And it sort of opened my eyes to that opportunity. But I guess, you know, we're all busy doing what we do. And it wasn't something we then really focused on. So, 
you know, time we did that period of a brief period of short lets and then just carried on doing what we were doing. But I suppose it had it opened my my eyes to the opportunity. And then probably about a year later, you know, I started to become aware of of other people who were particularly focusing on on this. Um, one other person in the northeast, chap called Duncan Belton, who's who's in Teesside, who I've known sort of on and off for, for years, and I was aware that it's something that that he had started to do, and he'd followed a similar journey to me, I guess, with building up a very large portfolio, um, you know, going through some some pretty hairy times, and was then you know, using some of their existing stock to to do short lets. So I thought, you know, this is something we should really, um, you know, take take a more serious look at. So we identified. Um, three three of our blocks of, of flats houses divided into self-contained flats as as potential there's a total of, of 18 units there but obviously we didn't just sort of throw the whole lot in day one we we just started with with one as it became empty and started doing short lets on that and that's about three and a half years ago now and then we've either just waited for the tenancies to fall in or actively manage the tenants out and of those 18 we've now got 17 as, as service accommodation units um, we've got one tenant still in one of them who's a very long-term tenant who mm. who is reluctant to move and in some ways we're reluctant to, to move her but we're just in discussion with her at the moment about so who runs that for you another. jason so so uh, we sell all the stuff in the northeast so we've got we've got about 170 odd properties in the northeast about a dozen in liverpool and, and two in london um so the liverpool lot are managed by an agent single lets funnily enough we look after the two in london from from the northeast because they don't really take a lot of management um but we self-manage all the properties in the northeast so i have um you know a relatively small team in the northeast um you know do, doing the property management and we have um, our own in-house maintenance as well right. so we had to, to a significant extent the available infrastructure to to enable us to to sort of manage manage those in house, which is which is what we've done. It's quite fortunate you can do that. I mean, for the people that can't do that, I mean, is it is it like running a remote hotel? Is that what service accommodation really is? Yes, yes, it is. Um, you know, but but it's it's you know it's not a it's not a hands off strategy. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be your personal hands on, um, but. But there are a lot of moving parts to serviced accommodation in terms of the, you know, the marketing, handling the bookings, handling the turnarounds, you know, dealing with the guests. Mm. Um, you know, the, it, it's not, it's not simply a property strategy. It is, it is a, if you like, a true business in its own right, yeah. and needs to be treated as such. You know, the idea that you can simply, um, uh, simply repurpose something into serviced accommodation and it, and it not create additional work and not need you know quite frankly a lot of additional systems and processes and all those sort of things to to, to make it work properly you know yeah, that, and you've that, got to that, consider planning permission haven't you and all of the legalities that come around with it yes um, i mean is that something that you've had to do have you had to change your change of use or are you just doing this under c3 yeah, no, we're doing it under C3 and i'm very firmly of the opinion particularly my sort of commercial planning background that you know, C1 is hotels, boarding, and guest houses. Now, to me, to take a single unit of accommodation and do short lets 
with it doesn't make it a hotel or a guest house if you are the distinction i would make is if you're taking a whole house yeah. hmo style and letting off the rooms individually then that's pretty indistinguishable from a guest house and yeah. therefore in, in my view is is, is definitely c1 yeah, you start to get into gray areas so if you've got a a whole block where you're doing shortlets on all of them. At what point does that trip over into, say, an apart hotel, which might be C1? But my view is, if you've got no one, you know, if you've got no reception, no nothing, none, none of the if like accoutrements of a hotel, then it is simply still a block of individual units. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm firmly of the view that that, that remains C3. Yeah, I agree um, with that, Jason. Um, I, that's exactly my understanding of it as well. Um, and I think, you know, there are so many grey areas, aren't mm. there? In everything we do um, in property, there's always something that's a little bit ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I mean, is is this something that you're concentrating on more now than anything else, Jason, with the service accommodation, or is it just kind of popped along? Because I think it's fair to say that, you know, on Facebook, you have become um, quite well known for service accommodation. I think that's largely because of the group that you, you set up, which is now massive. We'll talk yeah. about Facebook groups in a second. Mm-hmm. Is this something you're going to continue to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think I don't necessarily see us, um, expanding you know if we get to a point where within those units which are in Sunderland you know we're constantly hitting you know above 80 percent occupancy and we feel there's there's a market to do more than we might do that um but but from a personal point of view it's not something I'm actively looking to go and acquire more units in you know Newcastle or Leeds or Manchester or or, or wherever mm. and I'm, I'm happy with with what we've got it's certainly um you know, made a, a significant improvement to our the overall cash flow of our business, just, just having those units. But just to sort of touch upon something else, because it's something really that that I sort of um, has exercised my mind, just particularly over the last two or three weeks. And that is, uh, you know, with an entrepreneurial mind, I've I've always been drawn towards opportunities, and I think within the property industry, we're constantly exposed to to opportunities and people out there who are doing you know whether it's developments whether it's office to resi conversions whether it's rent to rent hmos whether it's you know whatever it is and all of those things you know look attractive and i I certainly have have ventured down various avenues you know i've done lease options i've done i've got a property with a tenant buyer in I've, i've i've done all sorts of things but but i've really focused back in over the last couple of weeks to say Actually, you know, if I just really focus on what we've got now and make it really hum, really sing as it should do, then quite frankly, you know, that produces a very nice income. So, you know, I've really questioned myself as to why, why, why would you want to go off and keep doing other things that take your focus away from the core business when actually, you know, from a blunt financial point of view, you know, I don't, you know, if I can get what we've got absolutely working as it should do, I don't need those other things. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jason. And, um, you know, because lots of people will go out, I call this the squirrel syndrome. Uh, yes. And, you know, squirrel, and then, yeah. you know, sort of your head's turned because you see mm. somebody else doing something. And I think that's not, when, when, when young, when I say young, when, when new investors come into the market, 
Um, and like it, I've been investing since 1997, on and off, I became an accidental landlord. But very quickly, somebody sees something and they kind of go to where the shiny penny is. And rather than focusing on one thing and becoming the master, you know, that particular strategy, they see somebody doing commercial conversions and then they see somebody else doing um, rent to rent HMOs and somebody else doing service accommodation. And they, 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 they try a little bit of everything and pretty much don't make it work because they should be concentrating on the one thing. And that's exactly what you're saying here is, you know, find the, the sweet spot and just keep doing it and keep getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things I think is um, I, the very nature of, of, of lots of people within that property space is, is they're entrepreneurial and ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know, and we all have, you know, certainly set off with, I did sort of with enormous goals of what we wanted to achieve. But when you really drill down to it, I think most of us get into property actually to have a, a, a simple life, not a complicated life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this sort of, you know, perhaps slightly holy grail of, 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 of passive income. Um, and I think we just get sucked in and then suddenly want to become sort of massive empire builders without really drilling back to that core thing of, well, actually, what is it I'm trying to achieve here? Yeah. You know, do I, am I actually trying to achieve a 60 to 70 hour working week so that I can, you know, just continue to pile up money in the bank? Or actually, did I get into this for a completely different reason? And I certainly did. You know, I got in this to, you know, so that my time was my own and, you know, I could spend time with family and, you know, on, on holiday and doing leisure stuff. And, and it's great to- seeing that. I see your Facebook post because you've got like a little farm, haven't you? Yes, that's um, right. You know, and that's awesome, you know. Yeah. Because- that's worked out well for you and certainly for me i did this because i wanted more time not Mm. less time um and i know that um, we do have a lot of stuff we probably have more stuff than we need and there are 10 of us um but i i I choose to do that because then i can be released to go away at weekends and i've just come back from an easter break with my family in wales and you know that time is irreplaceable no Mm. money no amount of cash can buy those memories and that time so you know for those people that are listening to this you really do need um, and I don't want to be cliched and I think you know we use the term a lot these days but your reason why mm. has to be you know for the right reasons because very quickly and Jason you can affirm this that you know you, you can just you can go out there and really get big really quickly if you know what you're doing but then all of a sudden you've created this monster that needs taming yeah, no, absolutely. And that was certainly, you know, I think I, I think if I'm honest, when I started out, I, I, I didn't have clarity as to what my why was. It, it, you know, innately, it was to, to free up my time and, you know, have, um, hesitate to use the phrase passive income, but I think everybody sort of understands broadly where I'm going with that, you know, to spend, you know, time, time with family and not have to worry about exchanging my, my time for money. And, and as I said, I think that if you like innately was what I wanted to do. I didn't have that. I didn't have clarity. I didn't have that, you know, written down in, 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 in a clear way. And I, and I definitely know that I was guilty pre-crash of, of simply getting carried away mm. and thinking, oh, well, I've got, you know, I've got 50 now, let's have 100. I've got 100 now, let's have 150. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to be honest, if the market hadn't stopped, I, you know, I suspect I just would have carried on. You know, and I would, I would absolutely say if I had my time again, I would, I would be really clear on, on basically what I needed as a, as a monthly net income 
you know, get enough property that ultimately could deliver that and then probably drive down the debt. Mm. And I know that's counter to what a lot of people say in property that just, um, you know, it's good advice. It yeah. is good advice, Jason. And I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. you know, at some point you've got to pay down, you know, we yeah. can't, people, interest only mortgages serve a purpose mm. well, well you're growing your portfolio you're keeping your costs down but you've got to have an exit you've got to pay down and mm. if that means selling half and keeping half that's cool that's mm. an exit but people don't you know very quickly in this industry you can build up so much debt mm-hmm. um, you know with private investors or with um, you know just general business costs mortgages etc but you have got to pay down and I think you know it's really good that you mentioned that and then my at the moment I'm working towards um, my retirement now when I was in the police I would have retired at 55 um, I'm not too far away from that now so I've still got that kind of number in my mind I don't mind going until I'm a little bit older Older, but I do want to retire at some point uh, and that means paying down so we are now kind of looking to restructure looking to make sure that that is our main focus so when we do get to that age and we do start to think about okay when is the right time we'll be in a position to do it if we don't pay down we're not going to be able to do it yeah 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 and I, you know one of the conversations I often have with people now because you know, you're never going to get a lot of people asking you people who are perhaps starting out um, about strategies and those sort of things. And, and, and just as, as you have effectively said, I would absolutely say, you know, interest only to kick off with because you're trying to generate cash flow and you, you need that cash flow. Um, but be clear about, you know, what's, what's enough in the short term, you know, whether that's 3,000 a month or 5,000 a month or whatever it is. And then when you get to that point, you know, plus a decent margin, you know, perhaps a, you know, another 50%. You know, once you've got something that's generating that sort of money, I would say the next one, put it on a repayment mortgage because mm-hmm. you don't need the cash flow. Um, and actually, um, you know, at the time you think, oh, you know, do I really want to do that? And quite frankly, at the beginning of a repayment mortgage, there's actually very little repayment going on. But you get 10, 15 years into that mortgage and you know, after 15 years getting up to us 20, you know, probably paid off half that debt and then, it's remarkable how quickly that comes round, yeah. and what a wonderful feeling to be, you know, in year twenty four and twenty five, knowing that that property you bought those years ago, someone else has paid for it. Absolutely, and so it doesn't matter if it, if you're buying it for your pension, you're buying it for residual income. The market growth is irrelevant. Um, you know, it's, it'd be nice to have if you want to refinance it at some point, or if you want to sell it. But you know, we're we're buying here to to give us that pension in the future, so we can yeah. have that nice lifestyle. Jason, what do you think? You mentioned earlier about EDCs and stuff, and you're you know um, you're a switched on guy. Your mind is open to all of these strategies. But what do you think about the rent to rent strategy and the you know lease options and things like that? Do you think there's still a place in the market for them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think, um, I think you've got to be clear about the, the, perhaps the limitations of some of those. And you know, if you take pure, say, rent to rent HMO, you know, it isn't. You know, people talk about property investing. It isn't really what I call property investing. It's, it's creating a cash flow business. Now, if you're clear that that then enables you to go on and invest in property, then I, I think that's that's brilliant. But, you know, there's a, there's a danger that you generate some cash flow over a period of time, but there's, there's sort of nothing to show at the end of it because you're not actually building an asset. Mm. So I think, I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a brilliant entry point for people. Um, you know, undoubtedly, you know, the, 
numerous examples of people who've done this extremely well and generated good cash flow. But I would say the people who've done really well have then um, you know, made sure that they are reinvesting some of that cash flow as capital into into properties that, that they then own. And similarly with serviced accommodation, I mean, I know somebody who started in serviced accommodation probably four or five years ago and just did pure management. Um, you know, purely managed serviced accommodation units on behalf of others, but, but generated some very good cash flow out of that. Moved on to doing rent to rent, if you like guaranteed rent, although I don't particularly like the term guaranteed because I'm not sure there is a guarantee there, but there we are. Um, but, you know, do, doing, if you like, leasing properties to, to operate as his serviced accommodation business and ultimately has got into buying his own properties and developing his own properties. Yeah. So he started with that pure cash flow strategy but developed it into a property investment business and and you know and i think if that's your if that's your clear focus and that's where you're going with it i think it's brilliant or or if your clear focus is just going to be i'm going to operate this business for 10 years and make some good cash out of it and 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 then hand back the properties at the end of five years or 10 years or however long you've you've got them for yeah i think it's important to understand that it isn't a long-term investment strategy yeah, and of you, its own. You make sure you plan because if you do have to give those properties back in three years, then obviously that's your income just gone and wiped out overnight really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've done rent to rents and, you know, we've done really well out of rent to rents. Mm-hmm. We still probably got about five. Yeah. They all cash flow really well and they're, they're, they're all extended and we've had them for a lot, quite a long time. So it really does work. But there is a lot of negativity out there, Jason, as well, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Facebook. Um, uh, you know, you've got a, a really big Facebook group um what do you think about the you know the negativity side so you're po- you know some positive rent to rent and lease options and you, mm-hmm. know, you see it from a business point of view um which is really open and open-minded but there are some people out there that just say you know rent to rent's illegal or rent to rent is is not a strategy it doesn't work and those going out there teaching it are charlatans etc i mean what <laughs> have you got a point of view on on those negative people that are out there sort of trying to drive everybody down all the time? Yeah, I, I, I detest the negativity for negativity's <laughs> sake because, you know, there are clearly some people out there, you know, who, who, who just tar everything with the same brush mm. and just say, you know, it's all, it's all terrible and, you know, you can't do service accommodation flats because the lease doesn't allow it, which isn't an absolute. And, you know, all these things that just get trotted out a, 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 again and again. And I think, you know, provided, you know, these things are done correctly, um, you know, compliantly, um, you know, with a clear understanding by the the people who are doing it as to you know what they're doing, then it's a perfectly legitimate strategy. I mean, I you know, rent to rent has become a bit of a stigmatised term, and and a term I I think I used a moment ago that I prefer to use is leasing. So I'm leasing a building so that I can operate that to to rent out to other people. And the example I give is that's exactly what hotels do. You, know, mm. you go and stay in a travelodge. Travelodge don't uh, chances are travelodge don't own it. Yeah, they lease it off someone else, like the Hilton as well, and you know, rent out the rooms. So there's nothing. You can't say there's something fundamentally wrong with it as a as a as a as a business model, when you know, or you know, WeWork or Regis or all these um, uh, you know people providing um, sort of small short term um, office Office suites. Yeah, they they go and rent a building and basically chop it up and rent it out to other people. Well it's fundamentally no different from doing you know a rent to rent hmo or 
as I say, leasing an HMO from somebody. You know, I think unfortunately, you know, there have undoubtedly been those people who haven't done it right. So they've gone along and, if you like, pretended they're they're renting a, a five bed house just as a single let. You know, don't tell the landlord what they're doing and then rent out the rooms and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things. And unfortunately, you know, people jump on that as uh, you know, as as a as a reason to to criticise everyone. Yeah, who's 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 going down that route? But I mean, I think you know some of the people with these negativities and, and these um, um, you know the, these opinions um, are doing it based off the back of other people's opinions. And what I find in in Facebook groups there are you know there are certain categories of people, people that are actually doing it, people that have heard about other people doing it and have failed, or people that haven't done any of it at all and just so negative they just want to shout everybody down. So um, you know, I mean, it's it, it is difficult, and you're always going to get the naysayers so your group in facebook jason so for the listeners what's your group called so it's called the service accommodation network uk service Um, accommodation network uk that's it and so very focused on service accommodation um we do get posts on other stuff which are hopefully fairly quickly (laughs) deleted because it was always keen because there are you know there are other for instance not so much yours but there are other hmo groups out there that just then become a talking shop for anything about property and i was really keen that to have a group that was that was very focused on what it did and it's Uh, a big group isn't it how many people are in it but sort of somewhere between nine and ten thousand now so nearly ten thousand people how do you manage that jason i know what it's like to manage a large group yeah i i i you know try to ensure i'm on there at least once a day just to have a trawl through i now have a, a a va who does the sort of vetting of people come in and I've set some um, some sort of rules ar- around that because, uh, yeah, you, you'll know running a group. You know, you get people from um, yeah, all around the world wanting to come in who are members of three hundred groups, but mm. to have any interest in property. And my views will, you know, why, you know, why do they want to? Why do they want to come and join this group? You've uh, got to, it's not just about having the numbers, is it? You know, it's about no, 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 absolutely not. I yeah. Mean, and people need to engage to keep it really. I mean, we get twenty four thousand comments and posts a month in our group. You know, it's it's massive engagement. And in order to keep that, you do have to filter out the members and the member requests because otherwise, it will just turn into a a buy and sell page. You know, and links yes. to all sorts of things that are not property related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've always been. Uh, it's interesting because when I set up the service accommodation group, I. Yeah, what it wasn't with a with a marketing purpose at at all, and therefore I've always, um, you know, within reason, allowed other people to come in and market, whether it's whether it's deals or whether it's you know, courses they're running, you know, as long as as long as there's not something clearly fundamentally wrong, and obviously we have had instances where we have had to to uh, to remove people, you know, who are operating unethically. And I've, you know, I've asked the group, I've said, do you want me just to ban all this stuff? Or, or, you know, are we happy on the basis that we're all adults? And, you know, the fact that it's posted in this group doesn't, isn't an endorsement of its own. And people have got to go out and do their own due diligence. Mm. And I appreciate your group is probably slightly different in the sense it's, it's more yours. And I've always tried, tried with the service accommodation group for it to be a sort of a, a wider industry forum if you like and, yeah. and that you know that's just you know two slightly different ways of of, of doing things um yeah it's not an easy task and it can become yeah. quite political sometimes but yes. you know in order to keep that great content you know you do have to um, manage it you do have to moderate the groups jason mm-hmm. we're almost into an hour now now it's been really <laughs> I, I could sort of talk to you all morning i mean you are a wealth of knowledge um you know if you could just give 
just say one tip to the, the new investors out there that are really keen, want to get into the market, what would that be? From a service accommodation point of view or just generally? Well, just generally as, as in yeah. business. I, and, uh, to be honest, what I'm going to say, actually, sorry to cut you off because it just right. popped into my head. It, it applies equally to, to, to both. And that is, I would say, treat it like a business. I think so many people, and I, and I would but, you know, say I was absolutely guilty of this. You know, they're, they're, uh, you know they, they buy a property or they get a service accommodation unit alongside what they're doing. And, and you know, it, it, it doesn't get treated as a, as a proper business. And I, th- and I think, um, funnily enough, I was listening to a, a podcast in the, in the car this morning and someone was making, you know, exactly this point. If you started any other business, you know, you would, you know, if you, want, if you wanted to start a sandwich shop, you wouldn't just sort of, yeah, crack on and give it a go. You, you'd have, you'd have, you'd have done, you'd have put together a business plan, probably, or you certainly should have done. And, and you need to do exactly the same with property. I think you need to be absolutely clear where you're, where you're going with that, mm-hmm. because otherwise, and you know, certainly the trap I fell into, you, you sign all of a sudden you've got a whole load of properties, and it isn't really operating as, as, as a business. Um, so, so that you know, that would be one thing I would say to people is absolutely treat. Yeah, treat it as a business and, and be clear as to what the purpose of that business is in terms of, of what you want it to deliver to you. Some good advice. Uh, and that's, you know, folks that are listening to this, this is 30 years experience talking here. Um, you know, Jason's been in the industry. Um, he's seen the ups and downs, seen the peaks and troughs, seen the demise of um, Bradford and Bingley and the Mortgage Express and all of that. So, you know, some really sage advice there. Treat it as a business. Jason, how can our listeners contact you if they want to talk about serviced accommodation or anything in general? Have you got sure. a website? Yeah, so service accommodation probably go via the, the, the group, the Service Accommodation Network UK is, is probably a, a great starting point. And there's, you know, alongside myself, some really good people in there. You know, most sort of requests for advice or information, you know, get lots of, lots of really good answers. In terms of, in terms of sort of contacting me directly, you know, f- Facebook, although I have to say from a messaging point of view, I get... You know, loads and loads of, of um, friend requests from people I, I don't know, um, and, and I, I don't just blanket accept all of them. So that may be, may be a bit of a, a barrier to accessing me via that. But probably the best way is if you want to get in contact with me directly is, is ping me an email, um, and I've got a, a more personal email address, which is jason at jasonliving.co.uk, and I'll you know happily assist where i can so jason at jasonliving.co.uk awesome jason i always ask our guests on the podcast one final question and that is are you a cat man or are you a dog man dog definitely yeah definitely a dog man what do you have any dogs yeah yeah we have we have one we had two one sadly died not that long ago at the ripe old age of 14 so she's done well so we have a a dog we have had various cats at, at times as you mentioned, we live on a on a small farm, so the cats tend to be sort of outdoor um, farm cats, yeah. rather than rather than home true sort of pet cats. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've always far favoured uh, dogs over. Yeah, I think most most people say dogs dogs are winning at the moment. Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure talking yeah. to you today. Uh, I am conscious of your time, so folks, you can contact Jason if you want to reach out to him. And Jason, um, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. It's been uh, it's been awesome having you here and uh, have an awesome day and you and you yeah no it's been fantastic thank you very much for the opportunity really uh, enjoyed um, chatting with you thank you jason thank you take care
Thank you, everyone, again for listening to Cup of Tea with Rick G. And I think you, know, you will agree that you know, Jason has got a wealth of experience there. So if you do need to contact him, please, I do encourage you to reach out. If you'd like to contact me at all, you can either reach me at rick.gannon at yahoo.co.uk or you can call the office on 01886 834 or you can tag me in into my Facebook group, which is the HMO and Property Community Group. Thank you all, and I'll see you on the next show.